Now, uh, I believe that if managers decided and learned to manage value, that's the answer. That's the interface between managers who do not know or understand the uh, uh, IT technology under them. And if they, if they just focused on, on managing the value that has to be delivered, then that's it. That's enough. They don't have to know anything below that level. They can leave it to technologists to do anything they like in architecture and coding and testing and data and artificial intelligence. And all they have to ask is, did the value improve last sprint? Yes or no? If no, we need to sit down and talk. If yes, did it improve enough? In other words, is it on a trajectory to delivering the full value by the full deadline, right? If not, we need to sit down and talk. If yes, hands off, keep on going. You guys know what you're doing. You're listening to the Scraping Toast Show, a podcast that inspires you and your organization to look past the current horizon and figure out what it might mean for you to become even more effective. I'm your host, Jussi Mäkelä, and I'm an independent product development consultant. In this podcast, I go deep and explore a multitude of topics to shine some light on long-lost wisdom so that you don't have to keep scraping that burnt toast anymore. Who wants to do that anyway? And we're back. In today's episode, we pick up the discussion with Tom Gilb and bring up some very uncomfortable truths about the state of competence within IT, what the extremely failed public sector projects really are about. It's not about serving taxpayers, by the way. What you as a manager can do to maximize the likelihood of actually succeeding with your projects or initiatives and all kinds of fun things like that. There are some pretty hard statements in there, so if you are easily offended, you have been warned. If you do find this useful or appealing, please join the conversation on LinkedIn or on Twitter and share it with your friends and colleagues if you think they would find the podcast useful. As they say, the more the merrier. Hashtag Scraping Toasts podcast, at Scraping Toasts, scrapingtoasts.com and so on. You know the drill. But wait, there's more. After the interview, I will announce a little giveaway for all you listeners out there. So check it out. If you have enjoyed the content of this show so far, you don't want to miss it. All right, let's get to it. So the role of a manager is a tricky one, and the whole concept as typically practiced is a problematic invention to say the least. Something that's been bothering me more specifically for a long time is this assumption that to succeed as a manager you don't need to know much about the work itself your staff is doing. What you do need to keep your days full of are weekly one-on-ones to understand what's bothering your staff and keep them motivated, as if that was possible, drive firing and hiring type of processes, 
stay in contact with your sourcing partners, deal with salaries and performance reviews, Ugh, the list just keeps going on. From what I can tell, it seems as long as you have demonstrated the ability to do those things, you can pretty much apply for a manager's role anywhere, because the role is about managing people, right? But here's the thing. I'm sure you and I can agree that managers have uh, more positional power and influence on the organization than many other non-managerial roles do, sometimes significantly more so. If manager's role is then primarily spent on HR processes and managing the busy bees, who is managing the way the work works? As a manager, you have a critical role in shaping the organizational system towards a state that is more fit for its purpose more congruent with the nature of the work itself. If you don't understand the nature of the work your staff is doing, how would you even know what fit for purpose or congruence looks like? Or do you just assume work is work, plain and simple? Maybe that's the biggest assumption we are collectively making. More specifically, if you don't understand the kind of work your organization is engaged in, what the underlying laws of nature are that govern the work and so on, how would you know what to change and to what in order to improve the results? If you don't have the time to actually study the organizational system and understand the causalities, how are you able to create an environment where your teams and staff actually can thrive and realize their full potential, as some put it? How would you lead, guide and maybe more importantly challenge your staff? Without understanding what good or effective looks like, what do you expect to achieve with whatever change initiatives there might be ongoing? I want to be perfectly clear that I'm not making a case for micromanagement, quite the opposite actually. What I'm making a case for is that people who at the end of the day are responsible for policies, rules, processes, in other words, the way the work works, need to pay more attention to the way the work works and less on managing the individuals in your uh, teams. So many questions I know, but so be it. In the spirit of this show, I invite you, dear listener, to explore these questions and maybe draw your own conclusions. Who knows? Maybe I have it all wrong. All right, enough of my rants. Let's see what Tom has to say about the manager's role. Okay, now I have a, I have a very simple answer. I've talked about quantified stakeholder values. And last year I wrote five books on the subject, value requirements, value design, mm -hmm. value management, right? Uh, sustainable planning. And uh, everything I write is about this. Now, it, 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 okay, so let's simplify. Let's just call it value management, mm -hmm. which is the title of one of my free books. We can put the value management one up there. Now, uh, I believe that if managers decided and learned to manage value, that's the answer. Mm. That's the interface between managers who do not know or understand the uh, uh, IT technology under them. And if they, if they just focused on, on managing the value that has to be delivered, then that's it. That's enough. They don't have to know anything below that level. They can leave it to technologists mm. to do anything they like in architecture and coding and testing and data and artificial intelligence. And all they have to ask is, did the value improve last sprint? Yes or no? If no, we need to sit down and talk. If yes, did it improve enough? 
In other words, is it on a trajectory to delivering the full value by the full deadline, mm. right? If not, we need to sit down and talk. If yes, hands off, keep on going. You guys know what you're doing. Now, I'm simplifying a little bit. Of, uh, the, there's a very important um, addition, which is looking not just at the values, but at the costs at the same time, exactly. right? So value for money. But, I, but let's, we're simplifying. Management is not taught to manage stakeholder values, right? Now, let me give an example and proof of this. Every manager uh, who's been through anything like an MBA knows perfectly well what balanced scorecard is. Mm. Is that something familiar for you too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, balanced scorecard? Okay. By the way, I'll give a link to my balanced scorecard slides, which we did from the largest government bank in the U.S., okay? Mm. Case study. And uh, now let, let me tell you, uh, why, why did balanced scorecard pop up as a management thing? Because managers realized, at least academically, they were very, very good at financial values. Let's call it bookkeeping to sort of belittle it a little bit, finance. And there, but there were some other values that determined whether the corporation or government institution was successful or not. And these were not financial. For example, do you have the trust of the citizens when you release an app for tracing. Now, right now, we're down there like uh, one out of 10 Norwegians might dare to put in the app mm. and the rest of them say, you're joking. <laughs> and it doesn't work. You've got to have 60% or it won't work. The trust is more important than any monetary thing to avoid killing Norwegian citizens from COVID, mm. right? That's mm. a simple example of a non-financial that everybody knows today if they think about it is far more important. I mean, Norwegian government has money coming out of his ears from its oil revenues, right? <laughs> money isn't the interesting question at all. But trust is absolutely key. And they have not managed the trust because they didn't manage the GDPR, right? Yeah. It's simple, simple, uh, but lots of other things. And so uh, they've, they've screwed up their future in releasing similar apps in the future. People say, why should I trust the government? They totally screwed up last time. Mm. Wow. Okay. So trust is... Now, here. Here's the thing. If you look at the early balanced scorecard publications in Harvard Business Review, which anybody can access on the web today, uh, and you take a look at the examples they show, they've, uh, I'm simplifying a little bit. There's the financial stuff and there's the non-financial stuff, Right. Now, if you, the financial stuff, of course, is quantified, you know, profit and growth and all that mm. stuff. And but the non-financial stuff is a little bit sort of badly quantified, some of it, like number of repeat customers. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is not quantified at all. It's at the bullshit level, like building trust uh, amongst the customers. And there's nothing to quantify it, no attempt whatsoever. So the, in other words, there never was any serious attempt at, at the non-financials, even in balanced scorecard, which was trying to balance. You, if, if you have all the financials quantified and all, as good as none of the non-financials, guess which ones win when your boss is breathing over your shoulder looking at your numeric results? And the answer is financials win. Short-term profits will win, for example. Mm. Uh, 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 low capital cost, but very high technical debt will win, 
right? Because yeah. nobody's looking at that. Okay, so to get balance, the non-financials have to be as quantified as the financials, and they're not, and they never were in the management culture. Mm. Okay. Uh, by the way, fast forward to just an example: uh, a, a book everybody can have a free copy of. I did last year called uh, "Sustainability Planning." Right. This takes a look at the United Nations. Sustain uh, goals for sustainable future. By the way, half of all the government ministers in Norway have a lapel badge to this day, which is the United Nations 16 or what is it, 17 goals. Okay, and we have the government and uh, uh, my, my CEO clients in big businesses. They are committed to this sustainability thing because it's politically smart thing to do, obviously. Mm. Okay, but you, so I uh, last summer as I'd, I'd written four books, my my uh, good friend Pavel Novak, he's the man I'm going to talk to at five o'clock today, was visiting me at my summer cabin, and I said, Pavel, I, I I wrote five books last summer, I've written four books this summer, and I can't think of what to write uh, a book, and there's some more summer vacation coming up, <laughs> and he said, Tom, take a look at the United Nations Sustainability uh, Planning. I, and I, I'd heard about it, but I hadn't looked at it. So I, I grabbed the stuff off the internet. Anybody can easily get it. And I started analyzing the official United Nations goals. We're talking end poverty, better education, uh, uh, safety for people taking education so they don't get acid thrown in their face by the, the, uh, uh, you know, the jihadists and things like that in Afghanistan. And, you know, wonderful goals. I mean, wouldn't it be a better world if all these goals were achieved? Everybody agrees on the principle. Just like they agree on the principle that wouldn't it be good to have one integrated medical record in Norway? That's the infamous Axon project. <laughs> Everybody agrees uh, that it's good. The nurses want it. The doctors want it. The IT people cannot deliver it after eight years of feasibility study. This is not agile. This is Big Bang Waterfall. You ask me, eight years of feasibility study and then eight years to deliver? That's not agile. <laughs> you got to be kidding. Okay, anyway, uh, so, so um, okay, so I, I, now you can see in the book, I take the principles, uh, primarily I focused on one principle called uh, end poverty, goal number one. I just took the first uh, goal and I started analyzing the goals. Now, I'll make a long story short, but I have detailed it. These goals are just as bad as the management goals for the government systems in Norway mm. and Sweden and Britain. By the way, I've analyzed the British health goals in detail in my governeering book I wrote this summer, free copy with link to governeering. Okay, this is for government planning, by, like health systems. And what you find in, in popular terms, management bullshit of the kind that has never gotten better since decades ago, Balanced Scorecard came out. Right. These professors of business didn't understand that you have to quantify or at least clarify uh, the non-financials to, to make to balance the scorecard, which by the very name of it was the main <laughs> idea. They realized it was unbalanced. They have a new method which doesn't balance. It doesn't quantify. And it doesn't work. Yeah. My case study at the largest bank in the U.S. 20 years later shows they were in absolute chaos trying to use the balanced scorecard. By the way, this is the bank 
which uh, caused the last depression called Fannie Mae. Mm. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, uh, they were in total disarray. Okay. Now, uh, uh, okay. So, so going into the United Nations thing, if you read a goal, and I, I, I take extract the goals and I write them down in the book, and uh, it, it is a, it, a typical goal contains three different goals at three different levels, all bullshit, like reduce hunger, together with some strategies or technologies for achieving the goal, which are premature because logically you cannot state any strategy or architecture unless you have a clear agreed goal. And they don't have clear agreed goals at all, which I've tried to show. <laughs> so this is just total mess. Now, who is writing these goals? Well, somebody in the United Nations who writes goals, they, they, are, uh, they don't actually identify themselves. No personal responsibility. Mm. The nearest thing to institutional responsibility is United Nations did it. I'd like these people to, uh, and I teach this in my own methods, when you write a goal, to end hunger in the world, you put your bloody name and email on it so I can tell you you're full of bullshit if I want it. <laughs> right? I mean, it, it, so it's disappeared into this anonymous system where I can publicly write a book about it, but I can't get to anybody uh, who would say, Tom, you're right, thanks, would you help us write clearer goals? Hmm. I'm still waiting one year later from any response whatsoever for anybody said, we think you have the right idea. Would you mind if we use your methods? Would you advise us in writing clearer goals? The consequence of bad goals for United Nations projects is that the deadlines they've been setting up, was it 2025 or, no, it could be 2030, uh, they, will, they know already they're late, of course. They will not deliver these unclear goals. By the way, it's unclear what they're going to deliver by the time because it's so unclear. But uh, let's put it this way. Instead of achieving their goals in 15 to 30 years, it will take 50 to 100 years to deliver their goals. And part of that time will be figuring out they never had any clear goals whatsoever for the whole bloody United Nations and nobody's agreed on anything. Okay? Now, this isn't – now, what is it? Well, this is just a – I wouldn't mind, except I'm thinking of all these poor people in Yemen today in the middle of a war – with uh, bombings all over the place, uh, uh, with uh, people killed and, and widows trying to keep their children alive. You know, this is the problem we are trying to solve, and it's not going to get solved by bullshit management technology. Hmm. And that's what they're using. And this makes me angry. Uh, I, 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 I cannot <laughs> tell you how angry I am that people, grown-up people with higher education haven't figured out how to write a clear objective for ending hunger in the world or mm. getting better education. That's the state where we're at, a, we're at a primitive state where we have not, I mean, 100 or 200 years ago, you could have written the same bullshit goals. Mm. But some people, some engineers, were probably writing clearer goals 200 years ago, okay? But somehow this hasn't gotten into the management culture. And I am really angry because we are literally killing innocent people in both our pandemics and our hunger and our wars. And it's we could do better things faster if we did something as simple as clear, quantified goals 
for government organizations, international organizations, and corporations. Mm. Now, wasn't that simple? Quantify <laughs> the values. What is so damn difficult about that? Intellectually, if you can't do that, you should not be a manager. If you haven't been trained to do it, you should not have an MBA. <laughs> what can I tell you? We have incompetent or ignorant people, some combination, running the world in politics, in government health organizations, and in the United Nations. And I can prove it, and I've proven it in detail in my sustainability planning and my governeering book. Mm. If you want proof of how bad it is, I'm giving these books away for free. Both of them, I've decided, will be Creative Commons, free forever. Mm. I just, but, but please help me spread the books to people who might be receptive to doing things better. I know they're out there, but they're not the ones who wrote the United Nations Sustainability <laughs> Goals. Oh, I wish I had a solution to that problem, but um, I'm, I hate No, it's I hate difficult. And, and change like this is never done overnight, not even when you're killing 200,000 people in the United States by incompetence, mm. right? So, so the, the, the history is clear. You need a few world wars and pandemics to make 40% uh, change in the direction of what should be 100% change. So this is this is not the last pandemic where we're going to sit back and say, "Gee, we didn't learn from COVID nineteen." Hmm. Okay, it's, the Second World War is not the last war where we say we didn't learn enough about peace and and how to how to make sure about we have peace. So the, we humans have historically shown we need multiple wars and multiple pandemics to learn at about five percent after each pandemic and 15% after each world war, what we should have learned long ago mm. to be an intelligent race of people. So that, the sad truth is, it's good. Now the, that's the bad news. The good news is that uh, some entities, some organizations will and have already, I can name them, pick up these ideas and do much better now. But, but long story short, this is like 1% or less of the organization should be doing it. So these are advanced organizations with idealists, advanced managers, advanced culture. Some of them are my clients. They pick up and use the methods quite happily. But United Nations is not amongst them. And I, again, I've offered to work for free. Not, a, not I mean, these people could afford any sum I would charge them. But I've offered to work for free for the Norwegian government. Uh, and I have worked for free for Norwegian government on multiple occasions, but not for these health projects, I'm ashamed to say. Uh, actually, Norwegian government tried to pay me a lot of money to do some work, and they figured out that since I was not a former government employee and since I was retired pensioner, they could not actually pay me at all. There was no legal way to pay me. So I said, <laughs> fine, I'll do the work for free. I just want to help the damn government, and I want to help the people of Norway. So I've been, uh, uh, you know, uh, so it's, it's ridiculous. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm retired. The, the government's paying my pension very regularly. That's, that IT system works to pay me my pension. Thank you, Nov. No problem. <laughs> but this is the same Nov that has major scandal. I'll give you an example of Nov, how bad it is. That's, this is Norwegian Social Security. They recently discovered that about 100 Norwegians were put in jail by the Social Security Administration 
for apparently breaking the law, but they didn't break the law. Nov didn't understand what the European law was again. And so now they are paying, they're saying, excuse me for putting you in jail for nine months, sir, <laughs> and we'll pay back all the money we forced you to pay. I mean, this is, how incompetent can you get when you put Norwegian citizens in jail for crimes they did not commit, 100 of them, and they're now discovering it, I mean, this year, okay? Yeah. Uh, so IT systems isn't the worst. I could, as an innocent Norwegian citizen who's not done anything, I could get put in jail because these people are so incompetent at interpreting the law that applies to their domain. I mean, IT system, who cares? Would the police just reduce the risk that I will get put in jail <laughs> for their incompetence? But that's how incompetent they are. They're, they're, they're legal, uh, their legal people have not advised their managers what to do hmm. with European law. They were doing things like applying old-fashioned Norwegian law. No... And actually, they were partly advised they were violating Norwegian law, sorry, European law, and they ignored it because out of old habit. It's an old custom mm. in Norway. Ignore the European law and do the Norwegian law. Uh, unbelievable. But when it leads to fining people for a million kroner and putting them in jail completely wrongly, now they admit it, something is very wrong with the uh, management. Mm. And by the way, the managers haven't been fired for this. The same manager said, excuse us, we'll fix it. Hmm. And I think they should have fired a few top managers and government ministers when Norwegians are put in jail and they're innocent. Hmm. Something's very, very rotten at the core of the institutions. But they pay my pension regularly. The IT system there is up and running. And, and <laughs> so, if they didn't, they'd have a lot of very qualified, intelligent pensioners on their case very quickly. <laughs> Maybe that's why it works. <laughs> There's always something. Um, yeah. But okay, so you've made it very clear that quantifying the stakeholder values—that's that's the key for any manager to make sure that that takes yes, place. Yes, that's the key. And you want to know how to do it? My free books will inform them. And if they can't read the free book, call me up, email me. I'll help you. If it will save Norwegians being put in jail and <laughs> stolen millions by the government. Well, you can't blame the man for lack of passion. Before we continue with the interview, I wanted to quickly remind you of the giveaway at the end. So keep listening or fast forward to learn more about it. Now, one of the most central parts of uh, Tom's work is the so-called Gilb value cycle that you'll find in many of his presentations and books. As the name implies, it's an approach to solving problems that by their very nature expose us to a large degree of uncertainty, thus requiring early, fast and continuous feedback in order to harness that uncertainty for good. So let's imagine a completely imaginary scenario where uh, you happen to be in charge of, oh, I don't know, let's say the uh, development of a joint school platform for your city. And as part of that responsibility, you need to deal with large IT and management consultancies or vendors. Hint, hint. You might want to listen to this bit to gain some new insights into what you might have to pay more attention to so as to not waste millions and millions of taxpayers' money. Yeah, maybe the they should put the Gilb, the Gilb Evo value cycle on their label instead of United Nations sustainability <laughs> bullshit. Yeah. Now, now, okay, so, uh, yeah, we, uh, now, in, in my various books and writings, you'll find the Gilb evolutionary value delivery cycle, mm. and it is a, 
a dimming plan, do, study, act cycle with a few extra things like stakeholders mm. thrown in and decomposition of IT systems thrown in, which Deming didn't arrive at. But it's it's the same basic principle of getting numeric measured feedback to control the process. Mm. Okay? So Deming had early uh, agile theory and practice, you could say. Yeah, uh, anything else? Uh, okay, so let's just say that's mentioned, that's done. Okay, so there's one other major area. Uh, and uh, let's say we've everybody's doing quantified values, hmm. you know, sorted. So the, the next stage is, uh, I, I wrote a book this summer called uh, Systems um, Enterprise Architecture, S-E-A. Free book for the moment. We can put it up there. I finished it about a month ago. And this is my angry reaction to the really stupid enterprise architecture we have for IT with Togaf and Zach Ben and all these other variations which totally miss quantified values. They talk about it, but they don't do it when you take a look, right? Mm. So, I mean, in other words, the whole foundation of all these IT architecture things is rotten to the core. I've talked with Zachman about it. He basically says, you're right, but I don't care. I'm an old man. I have fought legal battles to have the property rights to Zachman's methods and I'm earning money on it, so I'm not going to do a damned thing. Mm. I mean, you are people are buying and getting certified in stupid methods that the founder can't be bothered to change because they don't care. Now, you are pretty stupid if you put your money there, but you are doing <laughs> it with your agile certifications and with your architecture certification. But people do it. Okay, now... Um, so, but but we've all okay. But so so uh, architecture and design is missing this core idea of quantified values driving the design, driving the architecture. But uh, so what I want to do is take a a step two here. When you bring in any strategy, is what managers call it. Architecture is what the architects call it. Mm. Design is what engineers call it. But any means, any way of delivering the values within the costs, then you need to have a method for estimating how good is your idea for my quantified values, mm. right? And that's totally now, if lacking the answer today, is, right? It is lacking. I'd have a name for it. But this incredibly simple question, how good is the um, proposed architecture for the axon, uh, you know, one... Uh, one rec one patient record health system you know mm. how good is what they're they're going to decide to do for by the way for 22 billion kroner for eight years first estimate how good is the idea mm. and uh, people are not asking that question the government ministers and the top uh, 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 civil servants are just saying I suppose that PwC corporation, who has just stolen 180 million kroner for us for early advice, knows what they're doing because they're in the IT business. <laughs> they know what they're doing. They know how to steal government money almost legally, <laughs> although they're talking about illegal practices like not even putting out contracts for competitive bidding right now. Mm -hmm. Okay? So th these guys are there to steal government money, and they will do it, and they've been doing it for years in all countries. Okay? Yep. So the idea we should trust them to give us advice, the only advice they're going to give is how to get 
keep the project going for another eight years, and at that point tell you you need another eight years of paying them, another 22 billion kroner. It's a mafia racket. It's as, it's as good as prostitution, drugs, and counterfeiting. <laughs> Yeah, it's a mafia racket to steal money from dumb corporations and dumb governments who trust them. So the answer is, don't. Uh, uh, who, who was it? Who, who uh, Reagan who said about Gorbachev and the Russians, trust but verify. Mm. In other words, listen to their advice, but measure, 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 as the World Health Organization advised about COVID recently, make sure it really works on every value step. Mm. And I mean early, not eight years from now. I mean next month, not next year. Okay? Short cycles. Okay? Verify that their advice delivers health services or social security services or uh, or business services. Okay? So, it's okay. Now, there are two stages of verification of what we're going to do. Call it the architecture. Call it the strategy. The first stage is estimating theoretically how well had this idea worked with other governments, other health services, mm. other IT systems, right? And, and in other words, based on experience, what can we expect? Why is this method being recommended? And uh, if you get a, uh, yes, it works great everywhere, you know, it'll, it'll reach our value goals, then, well, you should try it out. Mm. But you shouldn't try it out for eight years and 22 billion kroner. <laughs> you should... You should decompose it. That's one of the Gilb evolutionary cycle things, the art of decomposition, which people really don't understand very well, but it's key to agile. And you should decompose it so you can take a month's worth, call it an experiment or prototype, right? Mm. And you try it out and see if it does as well uh, uh, as it should do. And if it does, you can scale up. This is engineering, mm. experimentations with prototypes, verifying in practice that the theory holds, and then scaling up and still, after all scaling ups, you know, moving it from city to city and county to county to the whole nation to the European framework, uh, you measure all the way that uh, a certain degree of scale up doesn't kill the whole thing. I mean, just because it worked at a lower scale, it doesn't prove it's going to work at the, just because it worked in, Oslo doesn't mean it's going to work in the whole of Europe or the whole of the mm. world, which is the problem we're trying to solve with COVID right now. Okay. So, so this idea that, uh, okay, so the, the, the idea that's missing is the idea that you need to quantify or estimate based on evidence or facts. So this is just normal engineering, normal science, no radical new ideas from Gilb here <laughs> that you, you look at this, do the science, right? And uh, then you implement the COVID vaccine and you still measure, 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 measure all the time that it's doing its stuff and unwanted side effects are not popping up. So this is the second thing I recommend. It is the engineering process of looking at all the technicalities called uh, um, um, uh, uh, strategies or architecture or uh, the means or the designs or the good ideas or solutions. Mm. There are lots of synonyms for this, but we're not good at uh, validating theoretically and practically and in an agile way, okay? Every bloody agile step keeps measuring this stuff. 
and make sure it's still working and there are no hidden side effects. That's just good engineering practice. That is good management. That is good science. That is good medicine. Why aren't the IT people doing this when the whole rest of the world seems to know about it? I mean, we are, uh, IT and management are the stupidest people on earth compared to the medical people, the scientific people, and the engineering people. We are badly educated and we practice badly, and we're not intelligent enough to break out of the what we were taught at university and the culture we're working in and say, my common sense says we should measure these values. Hmm. We're not even intelligent enough to say, I'm going to use my common sense to hell with the bad stuff I learned at, at MBA, university, Harvard Business School. I'm going to measure the essential stuff. We don't, we don't have enough intelligent managers who, and with, with uh, idealism and force of personality to break out of the mold and do what is right, which is to measure the critical stuff for your responsibility area. But maybe a few exceptional managers will listen to this and then find the sources and study them and say, my God, I can do this. I have the power and responsibility, and I'm going to do it and get it right. Just one, like managing the Norwegian health services would be nice. Might save my life. And that's a wrap for this time. I hope you found Tom's message valuable and will put it to good use already tomorrow. All of this information is pretty much freely available, so if you want to learn more on your own, check out the links in the show notes, but also gilb.com for more resources. Even though he might sound angry, I can tell you from my personal experience, he's the nicest and most generous person, so like he said, you can even get in touch with him and he will most definitely help you. I myself might be able to help you with a thing or two as well, so don't be a stranger. Now about that giveaway. I truly, truly believe it's time to put a stop to the never-ending stream of completely failed IT projects in the public sector. The most recent one here in Stockholm was so bad that regular civilians, so to say, with some coding chops, actually developed a new app on top of the disastrous pile of junk in order to not have to suffer from using the original one. Not to mention the security violations, the enormous budgets. I mean, how bad can it get? For the past three episodes, we've been on a journey into systems engineering and the teachings of one of the absolute heavyweights in IT, Tom Gilb. The message is very clear. Failure doesn't have to be an option and that there actually are ways to ensure success if you only bother to look. The proof is in the pudding, so to say. With that, I want to give away Tom's book Principles of Software Engineering Management from 1985 that is still relevant as ever with such a wealth of actionable guidance and principles on how to survive in the presence of great uncertainty. If you ask me, it should be mandatory reading for everyone in IT, no matter what your role or expertise might be. So do yourself and the rest of us a favor and read it. Now, how do you qualify for the giveaway, you might wonder? Well, it's quite simple. Just share the episode, announcement, tweet or LinkedIn post and tag someone you know in the public sector who you think might find the episode interesting. If you tag more than one person, that's awesome. I'll choose the winner randomly on uh, 31st of March and we'll ping that person for shipping details. That's it, super simple, no strings attached. So, besides taking part in the giveaway, 
you know what to do next, right? Quantify those critical stakeholder values. Until next time, stay safe. Stay safe.